0: Welcome to our online service. We're so glad that you could join us. For those of you that are choosing to worship at home, we're glad that you can join us virtually. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Let us worship well together today.
1: Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. The sun comes up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be seen with the
2: i
0: Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord.
3: God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Can you sing it with me? And Actually, I don't mean but right now while you're in your home and I'm standing here that we're going to try to sing it together. Maybe we'll do that later. But, but really, I'm asking, like, can you sing that with me? The goodness of God, the greatness of God, the kindness of God... God's provision and God's protection. Can you sing that with me? I know a number of uh, preachers and even congregations that have tried to develop this refrain back and forth. God is good. And and then the congregation says, all the time. And then I respond back, all the time. And then the congregation says, "God, God is good. And I I get it. I understand why uh, preachers or congregations want to work that kind of refrain, almost like an automatic response. God is good, and the response automatically is, all the time. And so I guess what I'm asking is uh, a rather intricate question that Psalm 95 is going to bring to us, because Psalm 95 is, in fact, an invitation or a call to sing and to respond to the character and to the nature of God um, Psalm 95 comes to us as we're going to see in a moment and it brings to us this opportunity to respond to the greatness and the goodness the provision the character the true character of God and and so I'm I'm asking a little bit of a deeper question of I'm not saying this I'm not saying Hey, do you know this tune, and can you recite this tune, either in tune or out of tune, with these words, God is so good? No, I'm not asking, can you sing it? I'm asking, like, from inside of you, can you sing it? Um, Back when we were um, beginning to meet together and we did this series called Life Interrupted Life Together, one of the things that we decided to do was to look at the different kind of songs that we sing and, and one of the points that came from the different kinds of psalms, I mean, it was almost like a, a preview to the series that we're in right now, but the psalms come to us and they, they bring a host of, of situations. Different writers of these psalms are going through adversity and difficulty, and they're feeling far from God, and they write a song in response to that. Or they're overwhelmed by the kindness and the goodness and the provision of God. And what I love about these psalms is they are so passionate and intense and personal, that, that maybe as we're studying through them, hopefully you are asking yourself the question, could I sing that? The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> I shall not be in any kind of want. Can you sing that? Or, or, or would it be different? And again, I, I'm not saying, isn't there a moment in which Drew spoke to this last Sunday In his Psalm 119, some of this is aspirational. There is the appropriate moment that you and I have that says, I can sing it. I'm I'm not really, really feeling it right now, but I still know it to be true that God is good. I'm going through a difficult time right now, but I really can sing it. And um, I'm I'm going to sing it. And I'm actually going to sing it, and and it's going to hopefully begin to turn my, my direction or my attention um, I get that. And this morning as we look at this particular psalm, Psalm 95, we recognize that as individuals and then collectively as a body, it is important that you and I understand that the goodness and the character of God is something that exists. And then you and I, sometimes you and then me, sometimes we're both on the same page, sometimes me and then you but we're reminding one another it's like it's like we're singing responsively to one another god is so good yes he is so good god is so good and we're we're singing we're we're testifying to the character and to the nature to the goodness of our god and maybe that's why the heading of this is is good the, the heading of this in our translation of the bible our csb it says Worship and warning, and that's kind of a a typical way to describe this in different translations. Worship and warning. And I don't know if it's not just the W that really kind of brings these things together. This psalm brings these two things together. Worship and warning. And so the first thing that we actually see in this text, beginning in verse 1, is this invitation to respond to God in worship. And, and I, I, I like the fact that truly it, it is an invitation. It's um, it, it's not something that is forced, it is not something that is coerced, it is something that just happens. As the people of God enter into the presence of God, there is this natural invitation for us to... Um, to consider ourselves and to consider God, to consider our circumstances and to consider the power and the provision of God. And then when there are these moments in our lives when we either individually or corporately come together or just stand alone and we're aware of God's presence and then there is this natural response that's worship. And so I know... uh, we we love to teach this at Sunnybrook. Worship doesn't need music. There are times in which I think we would all admit um, we are sometimes moved the most when there is that wonderful sounds that resonate along with our words. But worship is this focusing of our mind, this focusing of our attention. And that's what Psalm 95 does. Psalm 95 comes out and begins with that that powerful challenge. What does it say? Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, verse 1. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter into his presence with thanksgiving. This is this invitation for us to come and to just shout triumphantly, to shout the victory that we have in God. And remember, this is Psalm 95, so this isn't the triumph that Jesus Christ is over the grave. It is that God is our God and that he has chosen us. Um, the end of the psalm is, is going to kind of recognize God's victory over, over the slavery that uh, captured the people in Egypt. And here we have the people saying, as the people of God, we are able to shout with joy and triumphantly that God is our God, and then therefore there is no foe that can defeat us. That's where Paul gets that idea from in Romans. There is no foe that can defeat us. There is no obstacle that can somehow restrict us. Because why? Because God is our God. The celebration of the people of God is never in their own achievements, but is in God's kindness to them. It is in His greatness. And that is why there can be real no pride or arrogance in us. Why? Because it is not in us. It is in God. And so we come together, and here's the invitation, come and let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Can you do that today? At this invitation for us to come and to worship, Can you shout joyfully in the triumph, in the the victory that we see in God our Savior? Let us enter His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to Him in song. For the Lord, Yahweh, is a great God, a King above all gods. And the depths of, of the earth are in His hands, and the mountain peaks are His. The sea is His, for He made it. It goes on to say in verse 6, come, let us worship and bow down. That's the second response. Let us shout joyfully. Let us worship and let us bow down. Let us prostrate ourselves. Let us fall in recognition. Not just that there is triumph in Him, but He is worthy of our, of our adoration. He is worthy in you and I submitting ourselves to His greatness. This is what we see throughout the Bible, is that when people sometimes stumble into, unaware, the presence of God, when they recognize that God is there, when they recognize that they have somehow entered into the greatness of someone else, they respond by, by going low. They respond by recognizing the greatness of and the smallness of, and so they get, they, get, they truly do, they, they just get small, This is the response when Abram or when his descendants, when Moses, the great Moses, finds himself in the presence of God, there is this humbling effect. When Isaiah, the great prophet, finds himself in the presence of God, there is this humbling effect. Let us us worship. Let us just stand in awe of, and let us bow down and, and recognize the greatness of God and the smallness of us. And that is why it is so important that we consider the opportunity of worship to provide the right perspective to our hearts and to our minds. And that is this, that God is great, that he has made us, that God is great. He has been triumphant over all enemies, that God is great. He sustains us. And we have no ability for victory or self-sustaining measures. We have no ability to take our lives and to craft them and to mold them into our hands. And that is why the psalmists love to talk about the great peaks that are his and the sea that is his. It is describing not just the, the geographical placement of God as being that which is so much greater than everything else, but the the primary place that God stands in over and above all of creation. And, And again, that's why it's good for us to stop for a moment and to just be quiet before we say anything and just reflect on the greatness of our King. The greatness of our King. The invitation to worship, the invitation to respond in worship. One of my, my favorite chapters that actually does this is, is found in, um, in the New Testament. It is found in Revelation chapter 4. And I, I want us to help us see as we get ready to kind of unpack the last part of Psalm 95, I, I want us to just recognize the context of Revelation chapter 4 is not coming at a time when the church is doing great. It, it's not the song that the people are given or a picture that the people are given that is being sung in the presence of God in Acts 2. The church has begun. What a a great picture for us to just celebrate all of the victory. 3,000 baptisms today. Is that not incredible? Well, is God not worthy to be praised? No, Revelation 4. In Revelation 4, John, the apostle, is... On the Lord's Day is in exile on an island in the middle of this, uh, just kind of off of the, the coast, the western coast of Turkey. He has been in exile, he has been forced out, he is somewhat alone. We don't know exactly how alone he is. He's old, and he is given this picture of God seated on a throne. And the living creatures, the four living creatures representing all creation. God is creator in, in, in Psalm 95. And the four living creatures bow down before him, and the elders, they bow down before him, representing the 24. The, the 12 tribes of Israel bow down before him. The 12 apostles, they bow down before him. All of creation bowing down before God. And here is what they, they cry out, here is what they sing, because the presence of God so overwhelms them as it sustains them that every time they reflect on him or they look at him, it causes them to bow and to worship. And they cry out, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Worship is that moment in which you and I have some of the deepest and strongest Understanding and then an acknowledgement of who we are as being made by God and being made in God's image. What you and I are able to do in worship in that response by shouting triumphantly or bowing down and worshiping, it is us recognizing that God is our creator and that we were made in his image. And then, therefore, this is the most Appropriate and natural thing to do. Exile, it can wait. Yeah, I'm going through a struggle. I I know it can wait. Right now, I'm just, I'm in the presence of God. Like, I I know it's been hard and it's been rough, and I am old. Still speaking for John. I'm old, but the truth is, I am in the presence of God, and therefore, See, John is being encouraged and inspired by the tearing back, the revealing, the revelation, the uncovering, the unhiding. What is it like when you truly are, with no filters, you are in the presence of Almighty God? And the response that happens is a shout of triumph. It is a proclamation of worthiness. It is a recognition of the greatness of God and He is not only great, but He is worthy because we were made for Him. So Psalm 95 is one of those psalms that just calls us in. Just It begins to sing, and then it's like then the song leader says, Hey, will you join with me? I'm going to sing it anyway, but why don't you just come along and join with me in this song? And, and that's why I think it's important that you and I remember that there is a responsibility. Let's kind of put this somewhat in, in, in real time. Like, just imagine if, like, Steve didn't get up to, to sing for us this morning or to lead us in, then my question is, is that would you still know to sing? If Steve never kind of got a band and he never... Would you still know that there is still a song that we could sing? Because it's really not Steve's job to just lead us in some songs. No, what what Steve is doing is he is helping with an invitation um, to lead our thoughts, to direct our thoughts. But if Steve wasn't here, something were to happen to Steve, can someone else just kind of stand up and say, I have a song that I would like to sing. I have a testimony that I would like to give. That is why our singing on Sunday morning matters so much, so much to us And even more so to God. Because it is not just words that we are working through. It is not just a melody that is being played. It is truly, it is our acknowledgement, our confession. It is our witness to the goodness and to the greatness of God. Will you sing with me about the goodness and the greatness of God? So on Sunday, next Sunday... The following Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it might be good for you to just stop in the middle of your day, in the middle of the busyness, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of, I don't know, a temporary frustration to stop and to remember the reality of God and the presence of God in your own life to stop and to just sing. I don't feel like singing. Um, my, My dad loved to sing, and I don't know if there was ever a moment where my dad said, I don't feel like singing. I've told you this story before. He would just gather us kids around the piano, and it's time to sing. Um, I won't say which one of my siblings it was, because I think she's watching these online, but it's Carolyn, my youngest sister. Love her. Love you, Carolyn. I love you. Um, she was notorious for saying, I don't want to sing. I don't want to sing. <laughs> um, it wasn't as fun for her, I think, as it was for some of the rest of us. And maybe because she was the youngest, she kind of felt like she could say it. I don't want to sing. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't want to sing. Like I'm not, not try, trying to make a stand. I'm not trying to make a like a, a final statement in my life, but it's been a hard week. And uh, I, I know you want to sing that God is good, and maybe He's good to you. And I guess in some deepest sense, you're right, God is good, but man, I'm not feeling it today, and I'm not experiencing it this week. Um, It has been harder and more difficult than I imagined in this marriage that I'm in, or in this job circumstance that I find myself in, or homeschooling my kids. I was not made for this, Or, or you're beginning to stack those up. I'm trying to homeschool my kids while I'm trying to manage my job in a marriage that is really, really difficult right now. And you want me to stop and just sing, God is so good. Like at best, um, at best, tears will come to my eyes because I just don't know if I'm there. And that is why there is this turn. If If you take a look, you can actually see it there. This Turn. It describes God as our God and we are the people of his pasture and he is going to care for us. And then in verse 8, do you see the turn? Come and worship. Because you don't want to harden your hearts. Those two things actually go well side by side. Come let us sing. And it's almost like the psalmist is saying, maybe I'm taking this a little too far, but it's almost like the psalmist is saying, because if you don't sing... You're going to end up complaining. Like if you don't learn to recognize the presence and the goodness of God, most likely you're going to find yourself complaining and being frustrated by God. Do not harden your hearts. I, I, I don't know about you. I, I just I keep reading this, this, this psalm. And it just starts out like, come let us worship and bow down. Come let us nibble for the God our maker. We are the sheep in his field and he's watching us and caring for us. And do not harden your hearts. Where is that coming from? Hmm. Let's take a look at what this psalm is designed to do. It really is an invitation to the people of Israel. We've already talked about, Drew, last week, Psalm 119. Let us remember the, the precepts and the words and the law of God. The week before that, we were in Psalm 78, which was just describing Israel's story, God's faithfulness, their faithlessness, God's goodness, their rebellion, God's forgiveness, their continued uh, disobedience. And this psalm, in, kind of in that same fashion, recognizes, like, God's greatness, let us worship. And then, like, what happens to God's people when they don't? When, when the songs are not being sung, because, like my sister, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Here, here's the thought I want you to hold on to this morning. There was an entire generation of people that were freed from Egypt. So they were freed from the slavery of Egypt. And then they never entered into the promised land. Think about that. The people of God, loved by God, cared for by God. And God sets them free. They see all the plagues. This is Psalm 78. They see all the plagues upon their enemies. They they recognize victory. They walk through the sea. This is what Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is reminding the church to think about. This is Israel's story, and so these people that see all the miracles of God and all the goodness of God and God's kindness and God's provision on their way into the promised land are freed from their slaveholders, have still not experienced the the milk and the the honey, the, the goodness from the land, the produce from the land, the freedom of living in the land. Right now, they're wandering through in the journey they're wandering through the wilderness, which, by the way, Deuteronomy chapter 1 says it just takes a few days. But we know it doesn't take them a few days. An entire generation of people experienced the power of God. They witnessed for themselves the power of God, and yet they never entered into his rest. They never entered into it. They never Truly, like they were told about God, but they were never able to bring it up in themselves. They were never able to sing the song. Because somehow on the journey, they decided to fold their arms and instead of being grateful, they decided to be ungrateful. Instead of responding to the goodness of God in gratitude, they chose ingratitude. Instead of worship... They chose, this might sound like overkill, like they chose death. They, they chose their own selfishness. They chose their own testing God. And we'll see that word here in a moment. They, they, t- they decided to quarrel against him. Instead of singing in praise, they decided to fight. Instead of recognizing in the goodness of God and bowing down, they just they put up their fists And that is why the psalm recognizes the incredible truth that comes, is that when someone says, come, let us sing, come, let us shout joyfully, come, let us worship and bow down, your heart's response to that, I don't feel like it, I don't want to, is probably one of the greatest indications of the direction of your soul. I want you to hear this morning that is, that is not what God desires. That is not what we as a, as a church desire for our people to, to sit with arms folded, not singing, to fit with souls kind of hunkering down and, and refusing to recognize the goodness and the greatness of God. And, and so we have this opportunity to sing and, and then we have this, this warning to not trust in God's care. Again, the psalm actually tells us there in verse 8, do not harden your hearts. And then it gives two places. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as at the day at Massah in the wilderness. And those two words, Meribah and Massah, mean quarreling or testing. It, It tells a story of Israel's history when on the way from slavery, again, freed but not home, they find themselves At odds with God. And so they decide that they are want to argue. It's a a desert, and I'm sure it's hot. And I'm I'm, I'm sure that there are moments in which their their, their thirst is great, in which their mouths are parched. And instead of trusting in God's provision or trusting in God's kindness, instead of like gratefully and kindly going to God and saying, We want water great God, provide us water, they decided to quarrel. They decided to argue. Look at Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 20. Both tell this story. This is how it's recorded in Exodus chapter 17. They literally, on their way, after all of the things, the great things that they saw of God. So if you believe that if you just saw the great things of God, if you just saw the great miracles of Christ, it'd be different for you. Yeah, Every generation believes that and every generation is wrong. It is is not the the, the idea that we somehow like by our will are able to kind of create this, this faith or this devotion or this commitment if I just saw with my eyes. Remember, Jesus says words like only an evil and adulterous generation asks for signs. The apostle Paul warns that even though everybody saw these signs, they died in the wilderness because of the hardness of their hearts. Maybe it's as simple as, hey, do you want to sing? I don't feel like it. Do you have any idea of the precarious salvational situation you are in at this moment? They said this, Israel speaking, why did you ever, they're speaking to God, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? not a picture of gratitude, not a picture of gratefulness. Notice how in the midst of their pain and in the midst of their difficulty, the children of Israel decided to look at their circumstances and then attribute upon their great king and their kind God and their gracious God who has freed them and rescued them and provided for them, their immediate response by their circumstances is God, why did you do this? Instead of singing, God is so good, God, you are so malicious, God, you are so twisted, God, you are so mean. Because why? Instead of looking at him, they were looking at their circumstances. And they began to attribute to the great king, to the great provider, their circumstances. Instead of worshiping, they decided to quarrel or to test. The Hebrew writer really kind of draws attention to this particular psalm. He warns Christians in a very real and powerful way to take seriously what is happening um, to the people of Israel. The Hebrew writer says this in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had from the start. And then it quotes the psalm. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And he is saying to these Christians, I want you to remember from Israel's history, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, I want you to remember from Israel's history that there are these moments in which we are experiencing life and we have an opportunity to either sing praise to God or begin to quarrel and test. I find it interesting, this this particular psalm, is, is one that we actually read quite often. We have chapel services that we do as a staff together. Um, they exist every, every Monday and Thursday. Uh, we do it at 9 o'clock. We gather together. And one of the things that we do in, the, in, our, in our time of worship, not only do we have the Scriptures read to us and we go to God in prayer, we're following through um, the Anglican Book of Prayer. And there is something in that book called the Venite which is just Latin for, O come, let us, O come together, really, O come is what it is. It's taken from this, and it is literally us reading Psalm 95, us responding together in worship, inviting God down, praising Him, and then there is this reminder, and I find this to be very fascinating, that, that book was actually written in the 1600s. And when it was written, the Venite, the Psalm 95, was actually like put in there in its entirety, verses 1 all the way down through the end, verse 11. And then in 1796, Bishop White looked at the Psalm, studied it, and then noticed oh, there's something going on in verse 8 that just, I don't know, it doesn't seem appropriate. I, I like verses 1 through 7, but then it just seems to kind of turn. I mean, I felt that way as I was preparing the sermon. I mean, is this sermon about come let us sing? Why do I have to talk about don't harden your heart? And, and, and Bishop White was kind of speaking, kind of a, even my own personal temptation. Bishop White in 1796 said this. The latter part of the Venite, which is verses 8 through 11, is limited to the condition of the Jews. Basically, what he's saying is is that we don't need verses 8 through 11. I wonder if Bishop White knew very well Hebrews chapter 3. The the New Testament recognizes the importance and the value of the Old Testament. And when we forget or when we um, disconnect or disassociate ourselves from our ancestors, our spiritual forefathers... When we begin to believe that somehow we are different or we are better, we are in danger at that same time of falling prey to the judgments or to the mistakes or to the failures of others. When we fail to recognize that the reason why this psalm has come together is because life is hard. The journey from Egypt to the promised land is long and it is difficult. And therefore, every time we have an opportunity to sing and to give thanks, to praise and to make much of God, to recognize his presence in and over and above our circumstances, I say it is appropriate and right to do so. I don't know if you'll always sing in tune. I don't know if you'll always act to sing with a strong voice. I don't know if you'll just have to meld the words in that moment, but never forget to respond in worship to God because the opposite of worship is to harden our hearts. It's like the opposite of worshiping is to quarrel or to test. The opposite of of, of to worship and to trust is to complain and to, to share our poison with others. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. We either have an opportunity to share a song and a celebration and joy even through tears when necessary, where we can complain and be bitter. Why is God doing this? Again, I, I, I understand the value and the importance and the, um, uh, even, even the appropriateness for us to recognize the, the complicated circumstances maybe that you are in right now. I'm not saying, and I don't think Psalm 95 is asking for us to pretend like nothing is happening, that there are no difficulties. But what Psalm 95 is really challenging us to do or to recognize is that these words of hope and this proclamation to sing, this, this invitation to sing, and also this warning that we, we, we need to remain trusting in God, it frees us from the danger that you and I can have of being trapped by the images of what we actually think life should be. See, the Israelites thought they should already be in the promised land. They thought they shouldn't be going through this. They thought they should never be thirsty. And those images so infiltrated their minds and penetrated into their hearts that they began to attribute to God evil intent and and, uh, and, and terrible behaviors in the character of God. Why? Because the images that they saw that their life should be and their life wasn't there, the only response that they could have was of hardness of heart. And maybe that's where you are today. I, I want to encourage you. I'm not asking you to put your head in the sand. I'm actually asking you to pull your head up and to remember that in spite of your circumstances. I'm not denying that you're not thirsty. I'm just saying, do you realize that God is living water? I'm not saying that you're not alone. I'm just saying that you also know that the presence of God is with you. And and I'm not saying that your heart does not hurt, but I'm saying, but have you also felt the comfort and the presence of God? That all through life, we have these opportunities in both good and bad. But Psalm 95 cautions us against the bad. In the good and the bad, there is always an opportunity for you and I to sing or to complain. To shout joyfully and to bow down or just to argue or to sit with our arms folded on the sidelines and attribute to God that which is wrong. You know, the children of Israel were not able to be faithful to God. But this psalm writer knows of one who will. Again, he doesn't know, no, but he is describing that there is this faithfulness of one who is going to come after him, one who is going to come and is able to be the true child of God. What these psalms are reminding us of or what they are pointing us to is one who is not going too hard in his heart. You know, there was somebody else that was in the desert that was being tempted and tried and tested that was actually when the devil came to him and basically said, let's do a miracle. Jesus is the one, the true child, the true son. And and Jesus was able in that same moment of testing, and, and maybe because he knew how to worship well, Jesus was able to resist temptation He was hungry, and yet he did not blame God. He was tempted, and yet did not decide to manipulate God. In the end, he understood there in that moment. I I say this to remind you, not that, hey, you can follow the example of Jesus and just hold on tight. No, no, no. But Jesus has accomplished something for us that we were not able to accomplish. Jesus was able to fulfill what you and I could not fulfill. And again, what I love about that is, it yet once again returns us to worship. To be grateful for the one who was the living water and the bread of life. To see that, that every time we are tempted to be quarrelsome or to be frustrated that God appears and that God provides a way and that God provides hope and peace. And so the, the, the next time you have an opportunity today, tomorrow, sometime this week to just stop and to consider your circumstances. Just pause and ask yourself, is my response today, is it going to be one of worship, one of acknowledging the presence of God or or one that is instead going to um, be so drawn to or focused on the pain of our own circumstances that we fail to worship? I I pray um, that this week, in spite of what you find yourself in, you actually find your greatest joy and your greatest comfort in singing about the goodness and the greatness, the provision of God. Holding now the body um, represented by the bread and the blood represented by the cup, let's, let's, let's think about this again. God is so good God is so good, God is so good, He's so good to us. And He is, isn't He? You and I truly on the other side of of Psalm 95 and keep going and then over the manger and then over the hill of Calvary... Um, and then past the empty tomb, and now he is ascended into heaven, and you and I look back, and we recognize the ultimate plan and purposes of God, we are able to sing at a completely different level, recognizing that not only has God freed our ancestors from Egypt and delivered them to the promised land, but he has saved us all from our sin. Jesus. God, Yahweh, saves And he does it through this. And we celebrate that this morning. We have in our hands the goodness and the greatness of God. Let's share it together, remembering his body given for us, and remembering his blood given for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the provision of Christ, for the coming and the ministry, the teaching, the power, God, the sacrifice, again, the power and the resurrection. We thank you, Father, for all that Jesus is and for the hope that we have in him alone. We thank you this morning as your people for your goodness. In the name of your good son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
2: It's right. Suddenly I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. And I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And you. Oh,
3: Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We, are, uh, we continue to be grateful for God's kindness and for God's provision. And let us never forget um, that the only reason why any of us can give anything to God's mission and purpose in our city and in our state and in our country and in our world is because God has first provided it for us. And therefore, the, the giving that you and I do is really a response out of the giving that God has done for us. And so in light of his kindness and in light of his provision and in his goodness, we joyfully give back. Uh, there is a number at the bottom of the screen. Um, we continue uh, to ask you to, to join both in prayer and in giving uh, to the mission and the purposes of Sunnybrook Christian Church as they fall under uh, the direction and the guidance of God in the glory of his name. And again, here and around the world. So please continue to pray for our missionaries. I'd like to conclude this morning again with a time of corporate prayer as we gather together and, and we pray a prayer in light of the text that we just heard, Psalm 95, recognizing the goodness and the greatness of God and then also being very, very aware that we need to, with profound humility, um, to guard our own hearts, to be grateful and um, uh, 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 excited about the opportunity that we have to worship God and to respond to him. So will you bow with me and let's pray together. Lord, we confess the blindness of our understanding and sometimes the stubbornness of our own wills. We many times have foolish thoughts in our lives and we are easily... um, infatuated, and we become addicted to the things of this world. Father, without your grace, we are truly lost. And so we praise you that we find that grace and that kindness in Jesus. Father, we also admit humbly that we are in need of rest. Father, we are weary, sometimes with even the obeying of your laws, but we ask for your spirit to sustain us to guard against the hardening, hardening of our hearts. Fathers, I, Father, I pray that you would help us to not let our fears and our passions dictate us, that God, our need for approval and for control, that we would give those back to you. Father, we confess that we are in a deep need of peace for our souls, and I pray that we would know that they only come when we stop trying to earn our salvation but rest in the work of Christ, remembering just how good you are. We ask all of this in the name of his, uh, his work on the cross. Amen.